The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, number 163, for August 11th, 2008. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. That was Pilot Pete. I'm Dave Hamilton. He's John Braun, and you are our loyal subscribers listeners we really appreciate you tuning in every week and i know tuning in is of course the wrong word hi john how are you <laughs> yeah you know well you, you do kind of tune in yeah in a in not a, really in a digital sense in a 2008 manner of speaking sure i'll, I'll give you that yeah uh so we have uh as standard a show as you could ever have here but uh we should start out with with the thing that was just plaguing you john right with that we uh that we were able to solve remotely here to, yeah to- so, I'm, so i'm sitting here i have a g5 again the, the dual processor you know and it runs uh, the latest os it runs it nicely but um i'd like to turn things off before the show so like right now for example time machine is off dot max sync which dave loves so much and it seems to i'm sorry mobile me sync but you know i want to shut all those things off so it's not all of a sudden getting into a hog mode and so i shut them all off and before the show i see my read light because i have menu meters my favorite and everybody's favorite if you listen to us and my processor was going about 50 percent on each processor i'm like what is chewing all the time and when i brought up activity monitor it was like 80 percent finder and i'm like finder huh and, and I started poking around. There's a way to list the files that are open and stuff. And I think I would have come across it. But then, Dave, you just. I, I nailed it from, uh, what, about 300 miles away. I, I, nice. I asked you to turn off the uh, calculate folder sizes option. And sure enough, that, that did it. Yes. And actually, I think I had it. So I must have accidentally at some point clicked on calculate all sizes use as default. So what that meant is every window I opened and the, and the window I did have open, I think, was to my, my uh, time machine drive. In this machine, which is the one terabyte monster, so um, good one. Yeah. yeah if you don't need to spend time calculating the the size, though, I'd like to have the sizes. But yeah, if it's going to drag the system down like that, then no thanks. Especially on a laptop where the the drive, no uh, matter how fast it is, is still dog slow. Uh, that that I think is the right move, leaving that off. You can always highlight a folder and do a get info, and uh, and it'll calculate the size right there for you, and that way you're not doing it when you don't need that information. Right. Lewis writes uh, on MGG 61. Lou was asking for help with fixing his dad's iMac. And John mentioned using parental controls. I have a follow up question for you about security and parental controls. My daughter has an iMac and an iPod touch, and I've recently discovered she is online sending emails to friends at 1 a.m. My wife and I would like to remove her ability to be online after a 10 p.m. cutoff. Initially, it seems parental controls for the iMac will work great. However, I'm not sure how to lock down email or browsing on the touch. Being a recent switcher, when my son was her age, I was always able to turn off access on the router. I have a net ge- had a Netgear router, and it removed the ability automatically, as well as reporting back all websites visited. Now, I have a time capsule and have not been able to find any options in the airport utility to allow either email reporting or limited access, whether via MAC address, machine name, or all users. Any suggestions? John, this one's all you. All me. Great. Okay. So initially, I think you, you said, Dave, I don't think there's that level of control. And I don't think you, neither you or I had looked at it for a while. But um, as it turns out, because I had to set up my machine to do this, and, and it, it, it just stuck in my mind because it was kind of a weird way to go about things, is that normally I would, on whatever network hardware I have, limit my MAC address. It's just something to 
which is the network address of the, you know, in this case, the wire or wireless. It, it doesn't really matter. Um, but fortunately, if you uh, launch the airport utility and let's see here, we go to access. All right. So on the main airport tab, if you go to access, it then has on the top here a little thing, Mac address. And that's capital M, capital A, app, capital C. Remember that. <laughs> We're going to get back to that in a moment. And there are options, not enabled, timed access, and radius. Um, so it's not immediately obvious this is where you want to go to kind of you know tie things down here. But, but, but to the timed aspect of this, what you can do, and, and you have to click on, uh, on the screen that you see here. So once you say timed access and then click on plus, you can add a machine. And then there's another plus that you have to click. And, and you kind of get a hint that it relates to the time because it says... Every day, there's also other options, you know, none, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, weekdays, weekends, and then the period of time within which to grant access. So um, the time capsule does, in fact, have the ability by MAC address, which would be, you know, the hardware address of the particular devices. Um, you can do that with the router. So I think they may have added that recently. I don't know if that was in the first version of the firmware, Dave. I, well, as you know, I had never seen it, so I can't tell you when it was added. Oh, because okay. until you told me it was there, I thought it was not. So it, it okay. may be something that's been there for a while. Who knows? Um, well, actually, that's the wrong question. There are plenty of people who know. I'm not one of them. <laughs> now, the other option is, you know, when the time comes, you march into the, you know, you, you, you take take all the toys away. Yeah, it's a shame you know, when we have to rely on technology <laughs> for parenting. But uh, but I, I say this and I also, you know, I was one of those parents that uh, both Lisa and I were parents that said, you know, I, I can't stand those uh, parents that put the leashes on their kids. Well, once we had our son, it was very obvious. We had this eight month old kid who could walk and was uncommunicative. And uh, that leash oh, thing saved his bacon so many times. So, uh -huh. uh, so you know, I, uh, I, I've learned never say never, especially when it comes to uh, parenting philosophies. So, yes. So this is a way to just, uh, you know, lay down the law. Yes. Yes, it is. So let's talk about MAC addresses, M-A-C address. So that's media access control. It has nothing to do with the type of computer that you're on or even the type of device, every Ethernet, every network device, I think Ethernet and airport have unique MAC addresses. And this allows them uh, something like a DHCP server. When you connect to your router the first time and your computer says, go give me an IP address, it identifies itself with its MAC address so that the DHCP server says, ah, I will assign an, uh, this IP address to that hardware address and we'll we'll keep in sync that way and that's kind of how that uh that works that's an oversimplification but we like that here that's it makes life simpler and makes my brain hurt less so that's good <laughs> yeah so it's a 48-bit value um we talked about bits and bytes and, and stuff beforehand and the thing is unlike some other types of addresses like ip addresses a mac address and a little finger wag to people, because I get this every now and then, is that people will, you know, write me about the Mac and they will put capital M, capital A, capital C. Even worse, an apostrophe S for plural. But anyways, we'll, uh, <laughs> we won't be the grammar police too much here. But this address is guaranteed to be unique among all devices everywhere, everywhere. Now, how do you keep track? 
Well, unless okay, okay we, we norm- won't get into the next question yet, though. So go ahead. Normally, normally, normally. Yes. So normally, hardware vendors, no matter who they are, anybody that makes a network device, they are assigned. Um, and I think IEEE keeps track of this, and we have a huge monster list. But so the 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 first few digits, hex digits, indicate who makes the hardware. And probably no big surprise if you look at the beginning of the list, um, Xerox is right at the beginning of the list because where do you think they invented Ethernet? Yes, those Park. of you who yep. have been around for a while is the Palo Alto Research Center, uh, a place that Xerox ran, which uh, produced all sorts of wonderful innovations that never made them a penny for, as far as I can tell. Well, no, they got some Apple stock for the whole uh, the, the, the whole UI thing, right? The whole mouse and uh, and windowed thing, right? There was a stock exchange, and and also based on the lore that I've read, it wasn't that Apple stole it, is that Apple was permitted to tour the premises and was inspired by the work that Xerox did. That's right. So, um, and yeah, but no, there there were the, there was a yeah there was a deal. Basically, they said, "Hey Xerox, um, based on what I've read, hey Xerox, we'll give you a chance to invest in us if we can make your technology commercially viable." Which it seems they did a fine job. I think it's I think it worked versus yeah. Xerox because I you know I I've heard of some of those machines, the Alto and the Dorado and some of these, you know, which were bleeding edge, but they yeah they 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 were too expensive or just they didn't have the right no the wrong mojo. Yeah, and it's the wrong time sometimes. It's you're too too early and too expensive, kind of like the Lisa, right? Yeah, that's oh, right. my memory lane. All right, so can we can we veer back onto? Uh, yeah, sorry. That's all right. Here we go. Uh, so here's our well, here's our follow up. Hey guys, uh, great podcast. I just one quick question for you. Uh, well, maybe it's not quick. I don't know the answer. Whatever. And uh, I was wondering how to get around MAC address filtering, uh, like on a router or something. And uh, that's it. Um, I don't know if I want to leave my contact information because I'm not too keen <laughs> in the idea of potentially getting caught. <laughs> you know, it sounds like my neighbor, actually. No. <laughs> sounds like my neighbor. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so MAC address filtering. So uh, I, I'll, I'll set this up, John, and, and then and then you take it. The idea is, in addition to setting timed limits, uh, like Lewis wants to do for his daughter's devices, you can also set hard limits and say, look, don't allow anything but these specific MAC addresses to talk on my network. And if you do that, then no matter what, when somebody plugs in a, a machine, if it doesn't, you know, plugs in or via Ethernet or wirelessly uh, connects, if, if the machine doesn't match one of the previously approved MAC addresses, Nothing's going to happen. There's no traffic that's going to be allowed unless unless. So this is uh, I would say it's not the only way that you should protect your system from evildoers, but it's a way. It can't hurt, but it's not foolproof. So, number one, now I'm going to assume that Mr. X, number one, we have a couple, um, has honorable intentions and was just a victim of some tragedy where he cannot access a network that he needs to access. <laughs> We're going to talk about the technology. The technology is neither good nor evil. It's just the technology. So, my favorite way to kind of poke around and find some valid MAC addresses on a network is uh, what used to be called Ethereal and is now called Wireshark. And this is what's known as a packet monitor. And um, they have a very, very nice Mac installation. In the, 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 a little while ago, you actually had to download a compile it. Well, they had good installations, but I, I pieced mine together. I compile it myself. 
you run it RX11, you got a sudo as root and all that stuff. But basically what this shows you is any packets that your computer can see on whatever network you're plugged into or trying to connect to, you don't necessarily have to be authenticated. And that's the key here, I think, uh, to see traffic on a network. There's a lot of broadcast traffic, even if you're, you're on a switch. Um, but you get a tool like this, and at the very lowest levels of TCP IP, like Dave was talking a little earlier, in addition to an IP address, so, so a lot of times when traffic goes from one machine to another, the IP address is enough. But sometimes things like routers need the Mac or the hardware address or the, the wireless interface. And you know what? That's part of a lot of packets that you're going to see in Wireshark. I'm looking right now at a trace of traffic that's just being chatter on my wireless network. And I can see the MAC address of both uh, my computer and the, compu the, uh, the router I'm communicating with. So I guess the thing is, if you hang out on a network and there's enough traffic of any sort, you'll, um, you'll eventually see a MAC address that... Uh, but you know, that's the thing. I mean, usually this is burned into ROM, Dave. Um, do you have anything to say about this? Because if I know a valid MAC address, how... How can I possibly, you know what I'm saying? I do. How can you, how could you, what, what, what good would that information do you? Okay. So we know the Mac address of a machine that's totally authenticated. What, what, what use is that to us unless we can go grab that machine? Well, remember OS 10 runs Unix under the hood. Unix has a utility called IF config and IF config when run properly will allow you to set temporarily I think temporarily, although it might burn it into the ROM of the device, uh, set the MAC address of your either Ethernet or airport adapter. And there's a Mac OS 10 hints article that explains exactly how to do this, but it's it's very simple. It's just you need to type sudo first to, to get root privileges. To, so sudo space IF config space the device name, which for your Ethernet port is typically EN0. And then you type either Ether or LLADR to configure the low-level address, and then you type the MAC address, and that's that. Uh, so we'll, we'll link to this <laughs> Mac OS Ten Hints article. Yeah, that's that, right? You like that, John? Well, it's one line. It's better than having to, you know, download some program and compile it and all that. It's all right there. You just tell it now, what you want to do. Now, we must say, because the lawyers are banging on the door, um, changing your MAC address is generally, in my opinion, a very, very bad idea yeah lawyers are not you don't want to be mucking with this because it if you've got two machines with the same mac address on on one network there's no guarantee as to how i mean who knows what the what the rest of the devices or the switch or anything i mean it, I, I don't know how that works i've, I've honestly never thought to try that because it just doesn't sound like a good idea well i've seen it at the uh at the the, the nine to five okay uh, there have been people who now there is something known as a, a reserved DHCP address, which is where you right. map the MAC address to a DHCP address, but it's always the same. Normally, DHCP addresses are are different, but you can have a, a fixed mapping just to make life easier. So everybody does DHCP. Well, every now and then we'll get somebody who decides they're going to set a fixed address on whatever device they plug into the network, and the problem is the DHCP server serves it out, and this person has it set at a fixed address. Each machine, and I've seen this especially on on Macs capital M, small AC. Um, and it'll say, hey, somebody already has this Mac, this uh, IP address. Here's their MAC address. And now here's the problem is then you may, yeah, uh, attract attention that you'd rather not have. Yeah, but that that's not, that's IP cloning. That's not MAC cloning. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. Well, I think MAC, Mac clone, uh, uh, yes, you, you are correct. Um, MAC cloning 
Yeah, I wonder if the same would happen. The, the right, same so could here, happen. Here's a, here's, a, here's a valid reason for Mac cloning. It, anybody that owns a Linksys router uh, has probably seen that there is an option in the Linksys setup, if you've dug in deep enough, where it says clone the MAC address. And the reason for that is your cable modem typically bonds to the first MAC address that it sees. Now, normally, power cycling the cable modem and then plugging a new machine in as the first machine it sees is enough. But sometimes it's not. Uh, and other times you want your uh, router to share the same MAC address as the computer, because that way, if you have to switch back uh, to just plugging the computer directly into the cable modem, you don't have to power cycle the cable modem. So what you do is the first thing you do is you configure your cable modem with your computer plugged in. Then you plug your computer into the router and the router into the cable modem and tell the router clone the, uh, the MAC address of my computer. Now the cable modem says, ah, this is the address for which I am authenticated. Let's go. I'll let that traffic through. So that's a that's a real world, a non nefarious purpose example of why you'd want to do this. And it and it happens all the time. So, in fact, I think if you're on a Windows machine and you're running that that default uh, setup for the Linksys router on the from the CD, it, it's actually one of the you know four or five questions that it asks you. Do you want to clone your MAC address? And it, it explains why you might want to do this. So 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 there are good reasons for doing this i i have to say it doesn't sound like our caller has any of those in mind but uh but you know we we can give him the benefit of the doubt um all right let's uh let's move let, let's see if we can uh, the geek meter i think is 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 well worn out it's worn out yeah <laughs> let's give the geek meter a break here and uh and see if we can help stacy Hey guys, this is Stacy Allner of the Stacy to Go Fitness Podcast. I was hoping you guys could help me out with a couple questions I have. Now I have an iPod Touch, I have Leopard on my MacBook Pro, and I have Tiger on my work computer. And I want to sync all three together uh, using MobileMe, and, but I don't want to sync every single calendar that I have. I want to actually sync all but one. I have a freelance calendar, and I really don't want it showing up at work. Not that it's not okay. It's just I would prefer to keep the two separate. Now, is there any way I can do this through MobileMe? I really like the way that MobileMe chooses different colors for the different calendars that I have on my computer. I can't do that if I do it through iTunes. Every, everything seems to just go into one calendar, and it's all the same color. Um, at least on my iPad Touch, it, it does separate them in mobile me. Anyhow, so is there any way to sync all the calendars but a few, or can you select which ones to sync through mobile me? My second question. All right, let's answer the uh, the first question first here, Stacy. Go. Uh, so the, the quick answer is no. Mobile me either syncs all or nothing. Uh, so you, but what you can do, and this may or may not be enough for your purposes, is on the computer at work, uh, you can uncheck your freelance calendar, and that way it won't appear in in the event listings, but it will appear on the left in the list of calendars that you have. Now, you could bury it a little bit by creating calendar folders and, and putting it in a folder maybe called unused or something, and, and you can have it active by default at home and not active um, at the office. Mobile me currently with with the firmware that we've got on the iPod touch and the iPhone uh, mobile me is the only way to sync calendars that will magically appear there. However, another way, if, if we exclude the iPhone and iPod touch from the equation for the moment, Google calendar uh, is something that you can sync to iCal. So and once you've got the sync set up, 
it works great. And you can do the same coloring and all that stuff, but it does not sync up to mobile me. It syncs to Google calendar. So you could put your freelance calendar in Google calendar, sync that. And I'll put a link in the, the show notes about how to do that. Cause it's a little on the surface. It's a little wonky. It's really not that bad. And just sync that one calendar via Google. And that way you're not going to get that at work. Again, it's not perfect. Um, it, you, and, and you can, you can import Google calendars into iCal. This is what pilot Pete's telling me, but I don't think that they won't sync to the iPhone at that point. Uh, un- unless you, you, you want to. Well, you use it. I use iCal and I tell iPhone to sync to my iCal, but I have to specifically go into iCal and say, go refresh all my Google calendars, pull all the information off my Google calendars. So I input into my Google calendars and then display it on my iCal on my iPhone. But you only sync using iTunes, not mobile me. That's correct. And that's and that's the and difference that's the she's issue. talking about. Yeah. Yep, that's right. So 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 that that's the that that's the issue there at at current. There is no way to sync anything other than your built-in iCal calendars, your default iCal calendars, and you have to sync all of them. So th- there's no magic answer here for you on this one, Stacy. but perhaps uh, something what we've mentioned here might, might or might not get you uh, what you're looking for. Let, let's, uh, let's do the second question quick here. I, I have a podcast. It's only got one episode right now, but I'm working on more. And uh, I'm actually coming out with two other podcasts, mostly uh, fitness podcasts. Now I have a co-host on my other two, and we have Logitech USB mics. We're recording in GarageBand. Is there any way that I can simultaneously run both of these mics at once and record two female tracks? I have GarageBand 08, um, and that that was all I was using. I can record only one or one at a time. It doesn't seem like I can record two vocal tracks at the same time. Now, I tried to work around when I, I downloaded Audio Hijack Pro and I downloaded Soundflower and I was trying to set up different channels and different mono on one and mono on, on the other headset. It was a mess. So I don't know if there's an easier way to do this. We're kind of on a low budget. We don't have any ads or anything like that yet. So um, kind of cost-effective way to do this would be preferred if there is please let me know and this is where you cut me off all right uh okay so there there's a couple of paths to take yeah there are some headsets some usb microphones that will work it and will announce that there are two of them uh and some that won't it seems like these logitech ones uh when you've got two of the same device plugged in uh garage at least garage band is getting confused audio uh, hijack would, would- Go ahead, John. Yep. Yeah. Quickly, would maybe a hub, eh, I'm thinking possibly a hub may solve that, though maybe not. No, although although you mentioned that uh, the, the hub thing makes me think, if you go to the uh, uh, system profiler and look at USB, so system profiler, Apple menu about this Mac, mm-hmm. uh, click the more info and it pulls up system profiler, uh, that will show you all the USB devices connected. So. At at a low level, that will tell you if the system is seeing them as two separate devices. I, I think the problem here is likely GarageBand. Uh, so Audio Hijack Pro, although it's sort of a, a geeky tool, certainly lets you talk to these things uh, in, in as, as low level a way as possible. Pilot Pete mentions Ubercaster, which again is a little geekier than GarageBand, though it makes it work pretty well. And and that might be something to check out uh, to to do that. Failing all of that, buy a different branded headset and use one Logitech and one 
non Logitech, and and then that way you're uh, you're in business. So yeah, and John, you're mentioning wiretap. Yeah, that would be another one to to try. It, I think it it really just comes down to how the application is coded to deal with devices that all have the same name, and it's possible that Ambrosia's wiretap uh, studio might might have that. So that that's yet another another thing to to check yeah, out. Yeah, it sounds to me like my guess is a kind of buggy driver because it should say, "Oh, look, you have the same you know, every USB device has I think two qualifiers. You know, one is like a vendor and the other is device, and it sounds like the driver is is well, who knows. Yeah. Yeah, I it who knows. But clearly GarageBand and the Logitech stuff don't work together. But uh, you can either try a different device or a different piece of software. And I think all the stuff that we've mentioned, Ubercaster and, and Wiretap, uh, all have trial versions that you can download and, and play with. So at least it give you an idea if it's worth spending the money on it versus mm-hmm. uh, versus going to another, you know, another headset. So our first sponsor for this show is Barebones Software with Yojimbo. And at Barebones.com, you can check this out for 39 bucks. Uh, U.S. Yojimbo is your everything else organizer, not for your you got your email and and your mail client. You've got your calendar. Uh, This is for all those little snippets and pieces of information, be it pictures or audio or text or PDFs that you just need to lump together in one place. It allows you to search them. It allows you to categorize them. Uh, I, I, I know I mentioned all the time that I use this to prep the podcast. I use it to organize everything. I, you know, I've already created my Macworld 2009 collection. And as things are coming in, as we're prepping for that, I just tag them with that and boom, it, it goes in and then I don't have to think about it. And I know six months from now when I need to look at something and maybe not six months because the show will be over by then, but you know, four months from now, uh, as, as we're, as we're in prep mayhem mode, I click that and boom, everything's right there. Very, very cool piece of software. It syncs with mobile me. So you can have, multiple copies of this on multiple Macs and have your, your data exactly the same on all of them. The way the licensing works is for 39 bucks. It's a single user, multiple machines. So they've already thought about that. They're not going to make you buy two copies if you want to sync it on two different or even three different machines. So Barebones software, Yojimbo at barebones.com. And with that, John, let's, uh, uh, let's go. <laughs> Let's let's move on to Gene here. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, let me pull up Gene's email. Gene asks: Several of my clients have switched from notebooks made by Dell and HP to MacBook Pros, or would that be MacBooks Pro? We've had this discussion before. Anyway, uh, they are accustomed to having boot-up passwords set for protection. They are specified in the BIOS and prevents any use of the notebook without the correct password. I have been unable to find the equivalent for the MacBook Pro. I have set the open firmware password, but this has no effect on normal bootups and therefore is not the solution to my issue. Do you know of any way to protect the MacBook Pro in a manner similar to what they had before? John? Uh, I'm going to give the short answer and then the, the slightly longer answer. We knew you would. <clears throat> okay. The short answer is no. Well, not without help. And we'll save that towards the end here. But I just want to talk about the whole, the whole problem-solving process here. Okay. So I was poking around. On the older Macs, which had something called open firmware, the answer, with a lot of work, and I sent you an article, Dave, uh, that I found, 
it involved a fair amount of mucking about with with open firmware, which is a kind of standard you know, things similar to BIOS and all that the computers can use to start up and configure low-level things that, you know, a lot of you should probably not touch. On the older Macs, the PowerPC Macs, yes, you could uh, go into open firmware. I think you would start up in command option OF, and you would get to a command prompt. You could do all sorts of things, you know, reset the uh, PRAM and, and fun things like that. But also, you could, with a, a couple of not very, you know, well-publicized commands, set up a password mode. On the newer machine, so I'm like, well, you know, there has to be a way to do this on the newer machine. Now, we won't talk. First, we're going to talk about what, what the newer machines have. So the newer machines have something called EFI on Intel machines. But at least on my machine, when I try to hold down OF, you know, command option OF, I don't get into. Uh, maybe there's another key combo I couldn't find. But then I found something that looked really cool, and it's called uh, Refit, I think. Notice the EFI is in the middle of that. And basically, it's a boot manager which lets you, similar, there's also a boot manager on the Mac itself, where if you hold down, is it options, Dave? I can never remember. Command or option? I think it's option. Sounds good to me. <clears throat> okay. If, if it's so wrong, this... I'll tell you or someone will tell us. <laughs> um, but basically, so uh, once you install Refit, now I actually had to go to the shell and say enable, because I guess it has this whole volume blessing thing. So I installed it and it didn't boot into it. But, but I was able to read up on the documentation and, uh, and figure out how. But then it gave a different boot screen. And one option is to go into this kind of command line interface. It lets you set EFI variables. I'm like, oh, this is a potential place to both learn about the machine and also to see if I can access some low-level hidden thing that does a boot password. And unfortunately, even in the, in the documentation for the project itself, it's a SourceForge project. The answer is no, we don't do that. <laughs> right. Now... I won't say that you can't do this. Well, a couple of things. So one, uh, firmware password utility is, is is a way of partially protecting your Mac. On Intel machines, what this does, and I'd say it's probably the best you're going to get, it will not let someone, uh, though if someone has your machine and they have physical access, yes, they, they, they probably will win eventually. But at least this does not allow someone to boot from a different device. If they if they try to get the boot manager and you have this firmware password utility activated, it'll ask for a password. Eh, some way to block that. Now, another way to do this, and uh, we found, oh my gosh. Uh, I'm going to find it here. Our friends at, oh my gosh, where? <laughs> here we go. Uh, is it... Uh, I can't find it right away. Dead air. We don't usually have dead air. We're usually well prepped. That's all right, though. Keeps things moving. I'm sorry. Secure key. Secure. Oh, secure key. That was actually worth the wait. Okay. Tell sorry them about, about key. <laughs> so secure key, what they make is a little USB dongle that introduces the concept. And you may have heard me talk about this before, but this is always good practice in security. Um, Multi-factor authentication. So the more pieces of info you can provide that prove you are you, the better a security system is, though they can get to be a pain in the neck to use. So a password is one-factor security. A password and something like SecureKey offers, which is a USB dongle that also does some encryption, well, that's known as two-factor authentication. And that's better than one-factor authentication. The only downside is if you lose it, well, then you're in trouble. Um, but they do have a service that, uh, you know, will let you, if you answer the right questions, um, 
get an, another key, but it costs money. Not, not a heck of a lot. I think it's the order of, you know, a hundred bucks or, or around that. Um, but if you are concerned about, you know, protecting access to the machine, it, it, it would seem to me that at this point, you know, Apple in the BIOS and EFI doesn't, well, you know, I'll I'll take that back. If you enable the open firmware password and you change the, the default behavior of a lot of Macs is they blast you right into the, the first account that you define, right? Right. That's bad. That's really bad. Auto login, I, for ease of use, thumbs up. For security, terrible. You should always um, require people to provide a username and password. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's true. If you enable the, the EFI password, which will prevent people from changing all these other variables then. And you also force people to log in. You're pretty well. That's I think, as you said, that's as good as you're going to get because you've got one level of protection to keep people from changing the options and a second level to keep people from getting into the machine uh, without knowing your password. And And the only thing I toss in there is some form of encryption. I'll suggest though. I, it makes me nervous so <laughs> I'm being a hypocrite here, but File Vault, or I think there's another thing, TrueCrypt, is it? There are a few things out there that will do disk level um, or you know folder level encryption. So you shut the machine down and encrypts everything. You start the machine up, you provide your password, which is your key or, or maps to a key, and then it unencrypts your stuff. So Yeah, well, there's also PGP, uh, what, about a month and a half ago? Yes. Uh, announced whole disk encryption for Mac OS 10 and Jeff Gamet, uh, our managing editor over, oh, over here at TMO checked it out. He said he could barely notice a difference. So uh, it, that that's something to check out. It's, it's not, uh, it's not free. I'm looking to see if there's pricing here. I can't find it. Uh, but, but that, that would be yet another layer of, of very, very secure, uh, protection for your data yeah and i've even heard of some drives now are introducing the the concept of encryption on the drive hardware itself so right yeah that's one layer that's right one one layer beyond yep yep all right so <clears throat> excuse me there you go <laughs> sorry so so the initial answer is no but i think we provided pointers to do as good as you're going to do on the mac and uh it's just keep an eye on your machine you know you well, go. you know, they do have also, they have, well, well, we'll find a couple of them, but they do have services that will, you know, hopefully track your Mac. They'll bury a secret little program somewhere. And if somebody plugs into a network somewhere, they'll phone home. Yeah. Say, hey, your machine was found here. So if you have a concern, um, we'll, we'll find a couple of vendors and, and link to them. But uh, if you're concerned about, you know, the machine being being stolen and then being used or, you know, pawned or whatever, uh, that may be a good way to eventually recover the machine. Yep. Yep, that's true. All right. Uh, we have a question from Mike, and it's not specifically a Mac question, but we like Mike. He runs the Seacoast Mac users group here uh, in New Hampshire. So uh, we're going to go ahead and see if we can't help Mike out. Hi, John Dave. This is Mike from Hampton, New Hampshire. Just wanted to call in and say great job on the show. I did have a question this week, and it's directed towards Pilot Pete. A couple episodes ago, Pilot Pete talked about how he was using his Audible account to get the Wall Street Journal on a daily basis. I know he's an Audible listener, Gold subscriber, of which I am as well, through the Mac Geek app. Thank you very much. And I was wondering how to get that on a daily basis. I looked up in Google, and I looked up in Audible, and could not find the answer to that question. So, who am I turning to? The Mac Geeks. I thought, who best to answer that question? 
Thanks a lot, guys, for the answer. Take care. Have a great night and keep up the great work. Thanks, Mike. You keep up the great work, too. All right, Pete, all you. How fortuitous that I'm here tonight. Uh, well, first of all, if you're going to uh, have an audible question and you can't come to the Mac Geek Gab, uh, you can always call them toll free at 888-283-5051. They have live uh, support for uh, for members uh, 24-7. Um, and it matters not uh, whether you pay by the month or the year. All subscription plans include a complimentary subscription to the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. And I'm told by Audible today that if you want to switch to the New York Times one month and the Wall Street Journal the next month or week by week, or if you'd rather switch it every day, that's fine to see what you like better. Uh, and the way to get there is you want to log into your account. You want to go up into the member audio link, uh, and that's between Wishlist and Audible Kids uh, on the menu bar on the top of the page, and that'll bring you to a page with three columns. And in the second box down in the middle column, there'll be a place to choose whether you want the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. And I'll also mention when you're on that page, there is a plethora of free audio content to uh, to huh. listen to there. There's a lot of cool stuff there that Audible kind of gives away to its members. Huh. Cool. Thanks, Pete. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Audible has actually changed their uh, their tune, and I think they're only advertising. They've pulled all their podcast advertising back and are only on one show. It's not this one. But you can still, I think, at least for the month of August, if you want to show your support for the Geek Gab, we don't get anything out of it. Uh, they're not paying for us to say this, but uh, but it never hurts. Uh, if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGab, you can still sign up, I think, and get your one free book. Uh, all right. So... Let's let's do uh, let's do Thad because that's a quick and easy one, John. Hi, John and Dave. This is Thad from Pennsylvania. I have a question regarding launching applications startup. I like to have my mail application open all the time. Um, I want, was wondering, is there a way to have an application set that it starts up when your computer turns on, but not to actually open the window? I'd just like to it open in the indicators on the dock if I have new messages. Uh, here's where you cut me off. Okay. Uh, what you do is you go into system preferences and you click on accounts. Uh, and inside accounts, you'll see, uh, you'll click on your account, and then you'll see there's a login items tab. And you can drag your uh, mail app in to here and then check the little box next to it that says hide. That will put it in the dock, but it won't make the windows open. Uh, the windows will be open. They'll actually be hidden. If you go click on the dock icon, they'll open up. But presumably, if you click on the dock icon, that's exactly the behavior you expect to happen. So uh, and this works with, if not all, certainly most applications and can be very handy if you like that stuff to uh, if, if you like that stuff to happen. Do you have any? Did you have something to add there, John? I, I thought I heard you, you kind of chiming me in. down. You kind of let us down because he didn't want the windows open, and you said they're they're kind of open, but you can't see them. All right. So do you have <laughs> do you have a better answer? No, <laughs> Thank no, you for that. Co- Appreciate continue. that. Yeah. All right. Good. <laughs> continue. Uh, okay. So uh, you know that it, this is actually I, I know uh, you said you wanted to do Aaron's question, and we will. But since we were talking about startup, I think it makes sense to do Jamie's here. And what Jamie writes is. Though I'm quite geeky about Macs, I tend to be one of the many for whom things just work and don't really delve that deeply into what makes them tick. Since upgrading to Leopard, 
I have been exploring an issue where my machine will hang, showing me the spinning beach ball of despair. This happens approximately two to three minutes after startup and lasts for between 45 seconds and two minutes. This is not an application-specific problem. It occurs whatever I'm doing. Have you come across this before, or do you have any tips? All right. What do you think, John? I, I prefer spinning beach ball of death. But it's not death. It comes back to life, right? It's been despair. a beach ball of almost death. <laughs> so actually, I like despair. That's very good. But but I would say that this this is more of a philosophical, maybe not philosophical, but what the heck is going on? So what I would suggest here. Now, first off, my observation is with any machine, and I think the, the mention here is just at startup, this happens. Yes. Yes, that's what he says. Was, uh, okay. I have noticed now with the tools at my disposal, and uh, did we mention menu meters? Of course we did. <laughs> so the first thing I would say, and, and I've noticed this on any of the Macs that I, I run, when I start up, the disk light is pretty much on. Pretty yeah. continuously for a couple of minutes. No matter what Mac, even with you know my, my smoking new uh, MacBook Pro here, still, when I start up, now I have quite a few things, and, and I think this may be proportional to the number of things in your login items that you just touched on. So, you know, if you want to slow, if you want to reduce the startup time, see if stuff in the, if you really need all that stuff in there, you may not. Good point. Um, Good point. So I guess that's a, uh, well, I, I would, I would look at a couple of things. Yeah. Menu meters will, will tell you if something's happening. Activity yeah, with monitor. Both, I'm sorry, with both disc lights and processor. And, and I see those usually peg for a couple of minutes when I start up a machine and then they kind of back off a little bit. But as you're suggesting, Dave, we may want to find out what's causing it. So go on. Sorry. Yeah, no. So application uh, activity monitor will show you the list of applications that are running and you can sort this by CPU, uh, CPU usage. So you can go in there and get a feel for what's potentially what's going on. If that doesn't give you an idea as to what's happening, going into the console might show you something though. I think you'll probably be better off with Activity Monitor when you're looking for real-time application status information. And that, that probably will get you there. I don't know that there's a solution to your problem, Jamie. I, I think it, it's exactly as John said. You've got something that's starting up now. It may be part of the OS or it might be some third-party utility. Uh, if it's a utility you can live without, then you turn it off. If it's part of the OS, you live with it. Or if it's a utility you want, you live with it. And... You know, maybe instead of shutting down your machine, you just put it to sleep because that way when you wake it up, you don't have to go through the startup process and you're yes. good to go. So, And that is on all the machines that I use. Well, actually, no, I'm sorry. My desktop machine, I changed my behavior, Dave. Okay. Because, you know, it's plugged into the wall. Right. Well, sleep mode, based on what I know, even if it's sleeping, it's still drawing a little juice. A little bit. And I'm trying to be green here. So because I only use this machine a couple of times a week, whereas the portable I use pretty pretty constantly every day definitely but the desktop machine i i don't use that often you know i may do a gaming marathon or something or, or the podcast um but other than that i don't use it so i'm like you know i don't really want i, I probably shouldn't sleep it i'm gonna shut it down and that's what i do now there are you know epic battles on the internet about you know whether it's better to leave a machine on in low power mode or to turn it on and turn it off because that stresses the components allegedly blah 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 I don't know, but to me, I I shut the machine down. But yes, the, the ability of the Mac and to a lesser extent, like my, my Windows machine, though, it gets confused when it wakes up. Sometimes it doesn't understand what it's connected to anymore. 
usually the, the screens, it's kind of rolling the dice, which, which screen will come on. It's either my external DVI screen or my internal screen or both or sometimes neither. <laughs> uh, okay, so Pilot Pete and I are going to gang up on you here because we both independently Go. had the same thought. I, I would be willing to say that it takes more power to start your machine up from a power off than it would saved over a week of sleep. Now, okay. What we need to find out is the the power draw when the machine is asleep. Yep, that's right. And versus and, the power draw, as you're observing, I think one of the biggest consum. Uh, I'd say the biggest consumer is a drive. I'm going to speculate spinning up. Right. Well, okay. Yeah. Even in sleep mode, and and yeah. Yeah, but how long does it take your computer to boot up? I mean, you're talking, we, you know, three to five minutes, right? Until we need to find out is what is what what amount of power is it drawing when the machine is asleep? Yeah. Yeah. And then we can settle this once and for all. So you got to put it on a power meter, <laughs> which of course you have in in your uh, data center there in in TMO Towers, Connecticut, right? Well, just get an ammeter. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. But um yeah, I I was kicking that around for a bit because it, it was just, you know, I, I I think I told you about my adventure with reading my power meter and and some of the advice was, you know, uh, having a device sleep versus off, you may want to turn it off. But yeah, all right. I think, think that's about pretty, it. I think it's all crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think we're talking. Which whichever one of us is right, I I think it's negligible the amount of power that we're talking about saving here. Uh, so so therefore, I always just follow the lazy route, which is I want to press the space bar and go in about ten seconds, and so that's why I sleep my computers. <laughs> Pete says a hamster could generate the difference. <laughs> I need to see a calculation. Yes. Will someone send us a calculation on this if you've got any data? Uh, I'll see if I can get in touch with some folks that run Mac data centers, although chances are if there's a computer in a data center, it's not spending any time asleep. Uh, and And this is a perfect time to talk about how to contact us. So we've got a couple of different methods. The first, of course, is email. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the absolute best way to reach us. Yes, we have our personal email addresses, individual email addresses at TMO, Dave at and John at. They certainly reach us. And if there's for some reason you need to get in touch with one versus the other, that's great. But feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the best way to get to both of us. It, please trust me on this. All right. Uh, what else do we both have? Both of us. Both of us. Both of us. Right. Please do not write us individually. Yep. Unless yep. you're a groupie, in which case, well, we're. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> the phone. How can they reach us on the phone, John? Oh, I'd say uh, 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. 206-666-4335. And if you're going to call us from the car, we recommend that you put the phone number in now. Uh, if now is when you're not driving. If you Pull driving over and no right. texting while driving. I'm hearing about this, and it, it, it oh, makes yeah. me weep. I Don't text I and drive. You. Well, if you text and drive, keep it up because you won't be doing it for much longer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so you can Skype to Mac Geek Gab, and uh, and then you can follow John. You still don't have a Twitter account, right? No. You can follow. I'm just not one of the cool kids. I'm sorry. I got Facebook. I got a uh, LinkedIn, but Twitter. I I'm just not ready. You can you can follow Pete and I on on Twitter. I'm, I'm I don't want to follow you and Pete. No, but they can. I mean, <laughs> 
I was talking to them, John. Uh, Twitter.com slash Dave Hamilton is me. And of course, Twitter.com slash Pilot Pete gets to Pete. Uh, yeah, too much data in Twitter. That I will give you. But it is a nice way to keep in touch and uh, keep tabs and all that fun stuff. All right. Uh, how are we doing on time here? Do we have time for one more question? What are we doing? Are we I, doing? I have Aaron? an update. You have an update already? Well, I have an update. Do you want an update? <laughs> okay. For conversation. Well, no, I'm just looking here. But Well, you, you threw down the gauntlet here. But anyways, I, I, I looked with, um, you know, I did a little search and there was actually a discussion on the Apple boards, provided they don't delete it again. <laughs> um, uh, Mac here at sleep consumes, I, I have one figure here with one configuration, approximately 10 watts, uh, 7.8 watts or 10 watts. So. Okay. All right, so that's, I don't know. You think about that 24-7, that's a... Uh, yeah, that's, that's right? not an insignificant amount of power. That's, that's right. one it's a, it's a, it's small, a small light bulb. Light bulb. Yeah. yeah, but still, yeah, and actually you're about right, because I think the current batch of uh, uh, compact fluorescence, uh, at least some of the ones I have, draw in the order of 10 watts or so. Right. So, right. So if you can handle, so actually it's not as bad as I thought, but still it, it can add up, especially like, you know, when I'm on vacation, Yeah. if I, you know, if I'm away for a week or so, yeah. So maybe it's the amount of time that I'm going to be away from the computer. That should Could be, be a gating factor. Okay. I'm sorry to, to <laughs> but I just had to correct you. Oh, no, that's no, good. Inform you, inform I, you. But I, actually it's, it's a lot lower than I was hoping it'd be higher. No, actually I'm hoping it would be lower. Well, yeah, and Pete, you got you got some advice on this one. Yeah, that little LED that looks like it's kind of breathing there. I think if you take a tiny screwdriver and tap that out, <laughs> that'll cut the power consumption in half. You might be oh, right. Sleep. <laughs> That's yeah, interesting. <laughs> but I guess the most power is keeping the processor and the memory and stuff uh, juiced. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because it's got to keep them. It's it's not uh, flash RAM, so it's got to be kept alive. That's true. That's Unless true. it hibernates. Yeah, that's right. So laptops. That's that that that's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, the current crop of laptops has the ability, and by current I mean anything in the last couple of years, uh, has the ability to hibernate. And by default, I hate it. Yes. Well, uh, they, by we default, we don't do we, Dave? Wait, by de- what? Huh? Can I, can Keep I, going. can I, okay, good. No. So by default, out of the box, the machine will hype, it will create the hibernate image on the, on the drive, which means it takes the contents of RAM, saves them out to an equally sized image on the drive, two gigs of RAM, two gig image, four gigs of RAM, four gig image, and then puts the computer to sleep. What this does is if your computer's battery runs out while it's asleep, you've got the, uh, that you've got the RAM image saved on the drive. Now, this is what happens out of the box by default. If you use a utility like Smart Sleep, or you go to the command line and muck with the uh, power management settings, you can actually tell it, look, don't hibernate me, just sleep. I don't want to waste time saving this big drive image. I know I'm going to wake the machine up before it loses power, uh, before the battery runs out. Or you can tell it, look, I know I'm going to be off for a while, only hibernate, don't sleep it and in that case you're not using any power so that's uh or or it's got smart sleep mode which is only sleep if above 20 percent battery and then hibernate uh and sleep if it's below 20 percent because it knows that yeah you might run out of juice and all that good stuff so i uh, hibernate the first time it happened it, it was a 
you know, colleague that got a new Intel machine. Yeah. I thought there was something wrong with the machine. It took forever. Go to sleep. Yeah, it was yeah. just, it, it, it was catatonic for a while because it was blasting everything into the hard drive. Yeah. And as you and I discussed, but, you know, keep in mind, hard drive trumps almost everything else on any computer. The hard drive is, is, is doing something. You're, you're, you're going to be sluggish. You're, you're not doing much else. Right. That's right. That's right. Uh, so one other cool, we, so we mentioned smart sleep. Definitely check that out. And one other thing I want to mention is dictionary cleaner. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how to clean out, how to remove and or add entries to the OS 10 dictionary. And we've, we've had a couple of discussions about that. Uh, Rich at 2amsoftware.com. That's T-W-O-A-M software.com uh, has released uh, the Mac Geek Gab inspired dictionary cleaner, which lets you edit wow. that and more. Yep. So, uh, so definitely go check that out. I, I think it's it's very cool that he created it, and even even cooler that it, it came out of a discussion that uh, that we had here. That's that's quite flattering, and I think it's pretty cool. Awesome, awesome. So, Dave, yeah, I'm getting I'm I'm pumped, man. That's right. On Wednesday, Wednesday we fly morning, to, yep. we're we're hopping on a plane, and boy, you know, if there's anything I. I <laughs> On the top of my list of things to do in my spare time is to go to an airport and uh, and deal with the TSA goons. That's right. And, and not you only- know I'm going to get the special symbol on my boarding pass now. That's right. Uh, a little note to people, if you get four S's on your boarding pass, usually highlighted, that means you go into the special line of the people who get extra special attention. It's so much fun. Uh, Trust me, folks. I've been through it. I was, I was one of those people that... Uh, Shared a name with a no flyer, so uh, so I got to go through the extra extra special line all the time. But that's been over for a while, and I hope it doesn't come back. But yeah, so we go to Las Vegas on Wednesday for New Media Expo, which runs Thursday through Saturday. Uh, if you're going to be out there, let us know. We're bouncing around. We're going to be at the show quite a bit, and uh, we'd love to see you on Friday morning at 11 a.m., I will be at the Orange County Podcasters slash iProng wow. booth uh, doing a an hour-long uh, panel with, I think I've got this right, Bill Palmer, Ken Ray, Adam Christensen, and Victor Cahiao. So uh, the five of us will be rambling on about pr- things related to the uh, the iPhone and the, the iPod, but you know you know how it is when this comes together, so... And then, John, you and I will probably try and record another show while we're out there, but we'll have to see how the uh, how the schedule yeah. how the schedule gods treat us. Are you going to bring the mic? I'm bringing the mic. I'm going to bring the road podcaster. Ah, uh, I've been waiting to try that on the road. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. It's a it's a good mic, and it doesn't let us pick up any hotel echo, which is a good thing. All right. Uh, iPhoneAlley.com. Oh, I think Michael Johnston actually is on that panel. How could I possibly have forgotten? Really? Yeah. So Michael's on that panel. Michael Johnston, he runs iPhoneAlley.com and does the iPhone Alley podcast, and he's on that panel with us. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be, it'll be a blast. I'm looking forward to it. I I really like Michael, and I'm I'm so happy his site's doing as well as it is and his podcast is. It's awesome. And then uh, I think one night I'll have dinner with the Cashfly guys. And, of course, Cashfly provides all the bandwidth that uh, that you folks soak up while you pull down this podcast every week. <laughs> and the podcast marketplace includes the A5 and A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine. Yo, Jimbo from Barebones Software. 20% off from Smile on My Mac. This is uh, 
Well, the music stops at this very opportune moment here. 20% off from Smile on My Mac. Uh, if you go to smileonmymac.com slash geek, you will get 20% off for the month of August. Uh, conference recorder from Ecamm Networks and notebook from Circus Ponies. So go check all that stuff out and uh, and we'll take it from there. Hopefully we'll be able to talk to you from the show and send in some iTunes comments, send in some other comments, feedback at MacGeekCab.com, 206-666-GEEK. We'd love to hear from you. And I think uh, I think that's uh, that's all she wrote there, John. Mm-hmm. She? Who? <laughs> it's, a, it's a figure of speech. You know what's going to happen in Vegas? <laughs> what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Ah, even if you get caught. Made up.